It starts from who am I? We have to study uh, the Buddhist, Buddhism is a study of the self, of who you are in relationship to the universe, in relationships with society. So who am I? Let's address that very simple questions. Who am I? What I am is mere consciousness, but who am I? Where do I come from? How do I get here? Where would I go? All these questions have to be addressed. I am body and mind. There's no question about it. I am a combination of the body and mind. Now this body and mind, body is the materialistic or the materiality part of it, and the mind is the perception, conception, volitions, and consciousness uh, of uh, the mind component. And if we really want to get a further analysis into what this body and mind is all about, then we have to go forward to understand the senses, environments, and consciousness. We have, as far as the body is concerned, the front end, which are in contact with the environs. The eyes in contact with the objects, the ears in contact with sound, nose with smell, tongue with taste, and body with touch, which at the same time simultaneously produce the eyes consciousness or vision, ears consciousness audition, nose olfaction, taste, taste consciousness, tactile, tactility consciousness. Now all these eyes, ears, nose, tongue, they are actually materiality, but why would uh, the Buddha uh, bring them out conspicuously so that you understand them better? Because those are the front ends where your senses are in contact with the world. Without eyes, ears, nose, tongue, the body do not make too much sense. So the body here, this body is a conglomeration or um, uh, a combined word for everything inside your body, your internal organs, your heart, your spleen, your everything inside your body. And these are actually pointing out to you that these are specially have to be studied in order to study consciousness. And then of course you have the sixth consciousness, which is the mono consciousness, and then the manas consciousness, which is the ego consciousness, and then there's also a storage, store and interaction house for all, the alaya consciousness. So those are the eight consciousnesses that we have to study in detail in order to know who we are, how are we, um, why do we interact with the world in such a way. What exactly is consciousness? Now why do we, we just briefly Given all this slide that we already know, we already have spent a lot of time in understanding this, this PowerPoint slide. But then, in order to go to the next step, we really have to do a two or three minutes summary of what consciousness is all about. We're habitually driven by how we think. And how we think 
determines the feelings and opinions we develop towards people, objects, and situations. How we think is very important because it determines your feelings, your opinions, your perceptions that have been developed towards people, objects, and situations. But such opinions and perceptions frequently distort actual reality. And unfortunately, we cannot help but interpret reality through self-centered, egoistic thinking. We always interpret actual reality in relationship to our ego, because consciousness is an awareness of the self. That's the problem. We, we, we have an ego there, there's manas, that works in conjunction with the other seven consciousnesses. So in the process of this building up ego, we're building up, we're building up a lot of mental attachments in our living. We've been accumulating a lot of mental attachments. And mental attachment is a habitual thinking that disrupts our mind, our inner peace. Um, when the mind repeats the same thoughts, it is attachment. When certain people, objects, and situations continually bring out the same reactions and, and emotions in us, that becomes a mental attachment. When one of those habitual thought appears, it necessarily triggers a set of uh, corresponding reactions, uh, emotions, and uncontrollable reactions, especially anger, jealousy, hatred, fear, depression, indul sensual indulgence, or addiction, often become very stubborn and they become nearly unstoppable attachments. And a life driven by attachments will be characterized by a lot of problems and sufferings. That's the reason why we have to study how do all these problems and sufferings come about through, con through consciousness. So given that, we know that consciousness is an awareness of a self. And what we are studying now is one of the eight schools of Buddhism. And this is called the Yogacara Buddhism. And Yogacara Buddhism is the study of consciousnesses, is meant to be applied as a meditative practice and knowledge to thoroughly understand consciousness. The final goal is the complete transformation of consciousness into wisdom. As we know, consciousness is an awareness of a self, of an ego. We want to purify that, transform that into wisdom. And in the perfect clarity of, of enlightenment, there is total awareness and complete understanding which undermines gradually the ego, which subsumes the ego, the I, the ego differentiated self into nothingness. We have to, first of all, gradually undermine it, and then finally your ego is eliminated. Once the ego is eliminated, in the perfection of enlightenment, there is no samsara, no life and death, no reincarnations, and no suffering. And that's what the Buddha said, nirvana. So that's the, the final goal of the Yogacara, of Yogacara Buddhism.
Now, given that background, we have to move forward. We can't just summarize and summarize every time for you, especially for beginners. How do we study consciousness? When we study consciousness, we have to break it down into nine sections. We have to study the objects because every consciousness has two components: the subject and the object components. The subject is you, your mind, your mind perceive, and the objects are being perceived. So the first uh, category of our study, the first analysis, is we have to analyze the objects, the perceived world. Why is the world appears as such? So we study the objects in this subject-object component. We first of all we subject what we see, what we perceive, the perceived world, and that's the Chinese word for it. Xi wei xi de xi jing, wai jing. And the second, we have to study the moral nature. Of the subject and the object component, because the object is created. The object is a representation only of the consciousness. So your subject, your subject imposes a feeling on the object, imposes an analysis and a judgment on the object, and in the process of imposing such, certain moral nature is created. The moral nature, wholesome nature, unwholesome nature. Or in common English,、uh, good or bad, or neutral or indeterminate. So that's the moral nature, in na- nature in relationship to the morality part of it. And three is the modes of knowledge. What is this modes of knowledge? Each consciousness has a certain way of knowing, of knowing the object. How does that consciousness know certain object? The modes of knowing, the eyes have modes of knowing, the ears, the nose, the taste, the mano,、uh, the manas, all have different modes of knowledge. Four, fourth, realms of its of its activities. As we well know that the whole universe, if we can classify them, we can classify them into three、um, layers, if we want to. The first layer, the world of desires. The second higher layer is the world without desire, but still maintain materiality. The very high level is there's no more material, only consciousness left. So we are at the lower level. We are the we are living in the world with desires, desires, sexual desires, greediness, hatred,、mm. desires for food. You know, we all have desires, and we live in the world of desires. So we have the three different levels, and how do these eight consciousnesses activate in these different levels? For example, in in the in the higher level, they don't use nose and tongue anymore because they don't need to eat like we do. In the higher level, at the guardian angels level, for example, if we if we use common English, in the higher level. They don't eat like us. In a higher level, they don't have the sexual contact like us. They're in a higher realm. So, 
these eight consciousnesses function in these eight realms. Some of them are present in certain realms. Some of them are more prevalent in certain realms. In our realm, all our eight consciousness are prevalent, um, are fervent, we use, we function all these eight consciousnesses. Uh, in the higher level, they don't use, they don't need, they don't need the nose function. They don't, they don't need the taste functions. We like to taste the blood and flesh of animals, our taste. But in the higher level, they don't eat that. They don't eat like that. They don't kill animals for food. It's a different realm. So we need to study the realms of its activities. Fifth, interactive mental functions. When the consciousnesses interact with environs, or when the sense organs interact with environs, with objects, then certain interactive mental functions in our alive consciousness simultaneously will work with our senses to interact. That's the reason why emotions are created. Jealousy, hatred, greediness, depressive state, uh, fear, self-denial, self-degradation, all these things are created at the same time when your consciousness are interacting with externals. So these will have to study them in detail, mental functions. And then the six necessary preconditions for these consciousness to be active. Some people may not have eyes, may not have nose, may not have ears. So you gotta have preconditions for all this consciousness to be active. So we need to study necessary preconditions. Seven, how does each consciousness function? Eight, spiritual transformation towards enlightenment. As I mentioned before, the purpose of Yogacara is to transform consciousness into wisdom. Consciousness is nothing but awareness of a self, of an ego. Uh, we want to transform that ego into complete wisdom so that there will be no attachment, so that we'll be free from samsara and suffering. So we need to try, how do we transform our consciousness into enlightenment? Not a lot of people are interested in it. You are, because you want to transform your tainted consciousness into wisdom so that you can live a happier life, so that you know what to do when you're confronted with sufferings and problems. But a lot, a lot of people are like that. And we need to transform, not just understanding consciousness. We want to change it. We want to change tainted consciousness into complete wisdom like what the Buddha did 2,600 years ago. That's the purpose. We study with a purpose. Finally, results of practice. When all that is achieved, we get into nirvana. What actually is that? What's the destination that we want to go? Right now, we are on our way, striding out the first step, second step. We're walking that saintly path. But what's this destination? Is there a destination? Well, how do we feel when we get to that destination? What is nirvana? We need to study consciousness into these eight categories. Anybody have any problems? We haven't started. 
I just tell you the road marks, the landmarks. These are the landmarks that we'll be arrived at. We need all these landmarks in order to arrive at that destination. Okay, given that, we need to explore into the first landmark, the objects. How do we perceive the world? How do our eyes, our nose, our ears, our tongue, our body, our manos, our egoistic consciousness interact with the world? Let's get into it. Now, first of all, we have the eight consciousnesses, right? We, we don't go into the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth because they are very complicated. We need to, to analyze the simple ones first. We need to analyze the eyes consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, and body consciousness. We need to analyze the first five consciousnesses. So for the first 10 sessions, we just study the first five. But when we study the first five consciousnesses, sometimes we have to refer to the six. Now then I may refer to the six, but then let's concentrate on how our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue attach to externals. Now, when our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body perceive, perceive is not just eyes, right? Perception, perceive is listening is also perceived, tasting is also perceived. So perceive is in a, in a broad sense, not just in a seeing sense, in the eye sense, in the ear sense, nose sense, tongue and body sense. Okay, so that's how we perceive. So the first five consciousnesses are actually the perceptible consciousnesses. They only perceive, they don't analyze, they don't go into details, in other words, they are only the front-end sales ladies or salesmen. They don't actually dig into archive files to analyze past situations. They don't render judgment. They only sell. They only absolve. Okay, so let's study the objects. We're talking about the object, the states of the objects. When we perceive the world, how do we, what are these objects? How do they look like? We have to know that every consciousness has two components, the perceiving and the perceive, the subject and the object. When the eyes see you, you are the object, the eyes is the subject. There's a subject-object component. We must know that. There's no such thing as just the subject and no object. And there's no such thing as just the object and no subject, because the object cannot, cannot be object without a subject, and the subject cannot be, be termed as a subject without an object. Right? You understand? Okay. The first five of perceptual consciousnesses, they comprise the visual, auditory, olfactory, gustatory, and tactile senses. That is the eyes, ears, nose, taste, and body senses. Each organ of perception has two parts. It's physical substance and it's the nerves part. The physical substance part, the outside eyeballs, the ears, the outside. But the nerves connecting to the perceived division is the inside. So there's not just the outside, there's also the inside component of the subject. 
Each organ has two parts, right? But we don't want to analyze into the, the nerves part, the mental part. We give that to the doctors, to, you know, to people who dissect an eyeball, who, who dissect the eardrums and all that. We are not doctors. We don't need to go through that. But we need to understand every organ, sense organ, has two parts. You see how amazing 2,600 years ago that the, 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 the Buddha got into that? The, the medical field and the psychological field? Would you be surprised how 2,600 years ago people know already all these things? Its function arises from a perceived component of the eight consciousnesses. Well, that's a little complicated. The eight consciousnesses is the storehouse. The storehouse consciousness, when a person dies, that storehouse consciousness does not die. It rolls like an energy into the next reincarnation. And everything has been created out from the eight consciousnesses because that eight consciousness has a lot of energy in it. It is this energy that created the whole world. So the function, the seeing function, the perceiving function, all this function is because of you've been reincarnated, we've been reincarnated, carrying the eight consciousnesses into this life, and the eight consciousness being the storehouse, store all this understanding, store up all this consciousness already. That's what we call the inborn. The in, everybody has an inborn energy in it. That's the reason why the baby, the embryo inside the mom's, already has his inborn personality. Some inborn personality, they are different. That's inborn. And some of this is not inborn, it's after birth. But the creation of all these is, you think all these things were created by your present life? All previous life, all this is created. So that eight consciousness relates not only to the present life, it also relates to the previous thousands and hundreds of life. So what you perceive is not a result of this life. What you perceive is a result of previous life of your doing, previous life of somebody else doing. Okay? So that's difficult to understand. But when you get into the eight consciousness, the lie consciousness, you will automatically fit all these things together that you understand it better. All right? Next. I don't want to get into the detail. I just want to carry on and on and on so that we finish with the eighth first five consciousness. The first five consciousness interact with 31 mental functions of the mind. The mind has many mental functions, so numerous that we can't even enumerate it. A hundred, one thousand, two hundred. We have a lot of mental functions hidden in our mind. This jealousy, hatred, arrogance, self-centered, depression, fear, they don't come from nowhere. They come from mental functions inside of you. Some of these mental functions are carried forward from previous life. Some are learned from this life. Okay? But the, the first five perceptual consciousnesses are only related to 31 of these. And what are these 31? We'll get into that. Right now, we're only talking about one thing, the object. So we don't want to get into the mental functions. That's another category. 
So when you study Buddhism, you have to study it systematically. Otherwise, you'll get all confused because it's so profound. If, if you start to know everything when you first start in the first few lessons, you get all confused. Right now, you just know that there's 31 mental functions inside the mind that interact with the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, and the body. And of course, there are many others too, all right? And these mental functions work in conjunction with the six consciousnesses, which process the input to construct a mental picture of reality. Right now, these mental functions, not just of the first five consciousnesses, it also relates to the six consciousnesses. And the sixth consciousness is very, is the most active. If I can give you an example now, the first five are the salesman and the sales lady. The sixth consciousness is the manager. The manager can dig into archive files of the past, can predict for the future. Sales and sales lady and salesmen, they don't really care. They don't have, they don't dig into past. They don't worry about the future. They just sell. They just absorbed. But the manager has a lot of work to do. That's your sixth consciousness in you. But we'll study the six consciousness in detail. It's just, right now, we're just talking about the perceived world. This is something that you have to understand before you understand the perceived world. Let's get into the perceived world. The world can be perceived in three ways. That's how we see things. We see things in three ways. Hence, we call it the three states. All three states are involved in direct perception of the senses. One of these states, the first state, the state of real objects. As I said, we're getting into quite detail. Uh, in studying Yogacara, you have to remember what we are talking about at the moment. Don't worry about what we're talking about in the future. Because at the present moment, we're only talking about the perceived world. Nothing about mental functions, nothing about any other consciousnesses, just the first five consciousnesses, how the first five consciousnesses perceive the world. And the first state is the state of real objects. We said the absolute reality as it is, seen as it is heard, as it is smelled, tasted and touched, here and now. I'm perceiving you now. That's the state of real objects. You're real, right? I'm perceiving, I'm perceiving this, I'm perceiving, the, I'm perceiving the PowerPoint, I'm listening, I'm talking. This is a real object. So the state of real objects. This state is direct, veridical perception only, devoid of discrimination, no distinction-making ability, and sees the world as representation only. What does that mean? When the eye see an object, the eye itself cannot discriminate, cannot make distinction as this is a tall object, a flat object, a red, a blue, a white. The eyes cannot analyze. The eyes can only perceive it. Analysis is described to the sixth sense. You understand? The eye itself does not know the eye perceives the object. The eye itself does not know 
Mr. Chen. Here comes Mr. Chen. Your eye perceives Mr. Chen. In the very first fractions of a second, you don't know this is Mr. The, the eyes itself does not know that's Mr. Chen. Only the, the, the mind knows, the six consciousness know. But you need this eye as a perceptible consciousness to absorb that image. In other words, it's an image that the eyes absorbed. You understand? Okay. Since this is always exactly, uh, exactly same, it is the suchness of all. When the object first being sensed, no distinction making process occurs, but when the second thought continues to interact with the sixth consciousness, distinction making process occur. And this is not considered as the undiscriminated reality anymore. Now, what does that mean? Let's give it a meditation example. When I heard the raindrops this morning pouring down, I heard the sound of the raindrop. That's my first, first thought, perceptible by my ears. And then, when I'm meditating, I said, oh, this is terrible. These raindrops are disturbing my meditation. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Why should I come for meditation? That's not the function of the eyes anymore. You get into the sixth consciousness. You're tainted, differentiated, distinctive, discriminative consciousness. You get into the second level. What I'm telling you, remember, let go. When the raindrops keep falling on the ground, and not on my head, eh? <laughs> when, it, when the raindrops keep falling down on the ground, producing all this disturbing sound, I let them go. I don't pass into my second thought. I don't let them disturb me. I, I just let them go. Because when I start to judge this sound, it disturbs me. I don't want to judge it. I don't want to pass my egoistic judgment onto it. Sure, it's raining. I can't stop the rain anyway, right? It keeps dropping, but I can't stop it dropping. So I just let it go. I'm free. I don't want it to disturb my inner peace. I just drop it and let it go, drop it and let it go. I don't want to create a second thought. I don't want to create a judgment. I don't want to judge it. I don't want to egoistically hate it. I don't want to hate it. No hatred. Understand? So in every one of the state, meditation wants you to wash off your tainted mind thought. So, but these are real objects. We don't want to hate these real objects. That man is Mr. Chen. He came into the room. He owed me a thousand dollars. He didn't pay me. And I hated him. I want to sue him. He wanna comes in when I saw Mr. Chen. I'm meditating. I don't want to create my second thought of hatred. It only comes into my eyes and it flows out now. He's forgiven. I don't want to hate him. He has no money to repay me, so let be it. You understand? You understand how it works now? You understand why we do meditate? Meditate is to stay in the reality of it. But usually with distort reality. In the process of thinking, with distort reality, we want to pass opinion. 
We want to pass judgment. In the process of passing all these things, it creates suffering for me. I hate, I love. You understand? The second one, the second one is the state of distorted objects. It's the second state of the world that we perceive. What is seen, heard, smelled, tasted, and touched are real. Don't say these are not real. Some people say these are not real. These are only, these are only distorted. Yes, it's your mind that distorted. These are real. Everyone is real. But it's your mind that distorts the reality. Don't blame your externals. Don't blame external for anything. Don't create any hatred to hate external environments. You created the pollution, not the external itself. You understand what I mean? Okay. What is seen, heard, smelled, tasted, and touched are real, but because we impose an imaginary existence upon our experience of them, we come up with distorted images. For example, seeing an old hunchback man at night in the forest from a distance and think he is a ghost. Since our mental constructs do not match reality, it is a distortion of reality, but it still contains a grain of reality. Here's a man. So it is called a distorted reality. So in other words, it's a combination of distortion, imagination, and reality. You can say this is not real, a man at night there, or a hunchback man at night from a distance in the forest, oh, that's a ghost. You distort reality. Your mental construct think that it's, that's a ghost, but it isn't. You just distorted it. Your own feeling, your own opinion distort the reality, but it still carries a certain true portion of the reality, and we call it the state of distorted objects. Okay, now that's the second state. It carries itself with a little bit of reality, but then you distort the reality. That's the state we always stayed in. We, we distort our reality, and in the process of distorting the reality, we create sufferings and problems for ourselves. We always say, driving a, a Mercedes-Benz or Ferrari it will give me a lot of pride. That is this distorted reality. But it's really a car, a Ferrari, a Mercedes, but you attach your egoistic feeling to the Ferrari. You think that that would give you the pride of being res well respected. You think your, whether people respect you is because of your car, not because of your conduct. And this distortion may really be accepted by people who, who have their own distortion too. They may even think that way. Only the saint would tell you that's only a distorted reality of your thinking. Driving a Ferrari will not necessarily give you the enlightenment. It may sometimes give you a lot of problems. In the process of obtaining reputation and fame and money, you may have created a lot of bad karma, which drive you down to hell, drive you down to incarnations that will be suffering all the time. You are the creator of your own suffering, not God, because you distorted reality, not God. 
Your destiny is in your hands. Do you want to change it? In order to change your destiny, you have to know what your destiny is all about. How does your destiny work out? Why are you confronting all these things? Why destiny is paving a road like that for you? You can change it. Change the distortion. Then your way, your way to the saintly process, your way to your your spiritual odyssey, to extreme happiness, eternity, if you want to call it that way. This is the state we always stayed in, distorted reality. As every minute we stay in that. Every minute we have the real reality. But every every minute we distort that reality and become the state of distorted objects. Next, the imaginary state of subject-object discriminations. This state accepts the validity of the illusionary object. For example, that happiness depends on having a new car, or that the desert mirage is an oasis. That my imaginary prediction is correct. Also, this. Imaginary state may may become true, false, or or it is indeterminate, neutral. What do I mean by that? I really have to explain it so that you understand what I'm talking about. What is this imaginary state of subject-object discrimination? You are that subject. You have the objects to perceive on. What is this imaginary state? Give me a good example. You are in a dream, right? You are sleeping. You are in a complete dream, and you're dreaming of this. And you have hatred in your dream, love in your dream. You have all kinds of activities in your dream, but that's just imagination, illusion. There's no reality in it, so it's not of reality. But you cannot deny that that's also your state, your state of perception. In your dream, how do you perceive? Your mind, your six consciousness perceive everything. In your dream, you still see. In your dream, you still hear. In your dream, you still smell, taste, touch, love, hate. You still do that. You still have a state you interact with, right? But that's not reality. That's also a perceived world. That's a world of dream. So these three states include everything that your perceptible consciousnesses are interact with. The next question is, how does it help me in my enlightenment? Right? You always have to study Buddhism in relationship to how practical it is. How does it help you to I don't know to be happier? To be more productive, people like that. People like to say, "How how does it benefit me?" They always long to look at acquisition, right? Of course, there's another problem in it. You always want to acquire. You want to. Your ego tells you, "If I want to study Buddhism, how what what do I acquire? How do I benefit?" If you if you really want to think it that way, okay, let's t- let, take a look at that way. These are the three states that you perceive. Some of them are distorted. Some of them are true. Do you want to look at the true reality, or you want to look at the distorted reality? Because distorted reality gives you sufferings. You want to stay away from distortion. 
right? And when you perceive something, if you have the wisdom, you immediately know that is a distortion. That is not a distortion. In other words, you're well equipped with the wisdom of telling yourself what is right and what is wrong. You know what? Do you think that everybody knows what is right and what is wrong? The criminals think that killing someone is not wrong. Your brother, your sisters, are thinking that woman that loved them more than you is not wrong because she's prettier, she's more beautiful. And your dad abused John and loved Jeanette. He does not think it's not right because he has a distorted reality in his mind. Studying the state tells you to, to be objective in passing the judgment. At least that helps you in that way. I'm looking at the clock right now. I only cover one third of what I want to do. So um, why don't we stop at that? Because the, the, the bell would go anytime. In this session, what are we talking about? In this session, we're talking about the state of how our perceptible consciousnesses interact with the external world. And the Buddha wants us to understand it step by step. Don't get into the six consciousness, the ego consciousness, the eight consciousness immediately. We have to take the first five simple consciousnesses and study them in detail. So I advise you not to miss a class. Otherwise, you don't understand what I'm talking about. If you miss three or four sessions, you probably don't understand what I would be talking about because studying Yogacara is all related. You don't understand the first, if you don't understand the first five consciousnesses, there's no way you understand the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth. And if you don't understand consciousnesses at all, there's no way that you can transform your consciousness into wisdom. We have to know why we're doing it. We want to be wise. We want to change our, our ignorance into wisdom. Are you interested in changing your own ignorance into wisdom? Do you want to be more, more wise when you look at things? This is the way to go. It's about how you understand yourself, how to change your own life, how to change the life of all those you interact with, how to be a better person. You can always go home and think about all these things. And... Uh, then slowly and slowly you know how you transform your, your consciousness into wisdom. And if, in the process of doing it, you will get enlightenment. And when you have enlightenment, the way you look at things are all different. And when the way you look at things are all different, your destiny will be gradually changing. Because you act in according to how you look at things. You will act differently. Your mind will be, all, will be more open. You won't be as opinionated. Um, you will be more receptible to things. You will, will, you will not create the hatred in you that you used to create before.
You're not more, you will not be as emotional as you were before. Problems will be resolved. If you can spend two hours on WhatsApping, email every week, can you not spend two hours in understanding wisdom and enlightenment? How much time do you spend every day on email and WhatsApp? One hour per day? Seven days, seven hours. Can you spend two hours to understand yourself doing that and telling all your friends, your beloved ones that we don't want to, nope, we shouldn't distort reality. Take the thing as it is. Here and now. Meditate here and now as it is. Live at the present moment. What's the meaning of living at the present moment? Don't pass your judgment. Don't distort, distort your present moment. You're living here and now at the present moment. Don't distort it. Wisdom will flow out that way. See a flower as it is. Look at this blue sky as it is. The whole universe as it is. Wisdom will flow out.